human beings and welcome to episode 355 of Good Luck High Five. That's right. You're listening to a podcast that's for you if you play Magic the Gathering. Whether you're playing some arena or you're heading out to your local game store or you're just sitting at home playing with your buddies. I'm one of your hosts, Maria. I'm another one of your hosts, Megan. And if it sounds echoey where we are, that's because we're recording in a conference room in Richmond, Virginia. That's right. I feel very professional and as though I am about to tell several of my colleagues my ideas. Yes. Rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, there's so much hubbub there's in so this There's so many hubbubs. So much hubbub. That thank special you, hubbub is a preview that we will be having two special guests on this episode. That's right. Two guests. Which not is just one. Like we third week in a row we've had special guests. Who is the first one? Loading Ready Run people. Oh my goodness. Adam and Ben. That was a lifetime ago. I know it was. So if you don't feel like you're getting your Patreon dollars worth, I, I'd have I don't you know check what yourself. Is up. <laughs> because these episodes have been great. Put on a hat and sit down because you need to reevaluate. <laughs> The reason we're in Richmond, Virginia, and the reason we have two special guests is because we just got done with Mythic Championship 6. Yes. Whew. And boy, in are my Richmond, arms Virginia. tired. Wait. <laughs> and the rest of me. The rest of me is also tired. Oh, I'm tired top to bottom. So, <laughs> as evidenced by that long pause, yes, yes, where yes, my yes, brain yes. cannot make up another sentence. But we are Before coming we at started. you for, with an episode. Yes. Even though we are even though we're here at the door, death's door. Thank you to the people who make it possible. Everyone who's a patron of the show over on patreon.com slash GLHF magic. Um, we super appreciate it. You make this possible. And you are the reason why even when we're in Richmond and we're so tired that I could lay down on this conference room floor and sleep. We're making this episode. That's right. We do it for you. Yeah. And if this uh, podcast is of, of any value to you, please consider going over there and becoming a patron for as little as a buck a month or a yeah. dollar twenty-five an episode, which is five dollars. You a also month. get access to our sweet hangouts every month. You can challenge Maria and I to matches, um, and we can we play different flavor text theater games on stream. It's a really good time. It's awesome. It is. Big thanks to CardKingdom.com/slash/GLHF2. Head over there to buy anything you need in your magical life. They've got singles. They've got boxes, they've got sleeves, they've got binders, they've got anything you could want with the fastest shipping on the planet. And you can say, good luck, high five, and they'll give you a sticker or a token in your order for free. We recently went there for the chalice, which was a delightful event. It was amazing. And we met so many of their wonderful, hardworking people. Yeah, they're They're great. They're a great company. They're so great. And we believe in supporting great companies, and uh, they support us too. So it's like the circle of life when you go over to (gasps) cardkingdom.com slash GLHF. The Circle of Life? That's a different song. You're singing In the Jungle. They're both from the same (laughs) film. (laughs) Wait, are they really? Is that really from that song? Is it? What? I thought it happened before Lion King that Awimawa was out. What? Melissa's agreeing with me. Yeah. I was thinking of In the Jungle. Yeah. It was a real song. It was before the Lion King. Before the Lion King. Absolutely. Are you all three lying to me right now? No. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) But also, was it in the Lion King? Was it even in the Lion King? No. My question. Was it? I don't think it was. I feel crazy. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's move on. Let's move on. 
All right, everybody, it's time to welcome our very special guest for this episode, Brian, David Marshall, and Melissa DeTora. Yay! Yay. I'm Hi. so happy you're both here. Brian, how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling a little uh, rundown. Yeah. Would be the euphemism I would oh. use. Why uh, is that? Why are you feeling rundown? Uh, I didn't have to really do a lot of work this week. I was here for like one very specific targeted mission. And then I didn't have to get up early to be at the show. Like, you know, you know like what time's normally. your call time, Maria? My call, my call time was 7.30, so that meant I had to get up at 6 a.m. Yeah, so I didn't have any kind of call times, and I was able to maybe stay out a little later oh, than I, see I might normally saying. stay I out see, see on any given saying. night. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm putting two and two together yeah, over here. Yeah, uh, and then last night uh, was the really the end of the Pro Tour. Yeah. That we know it, right? Like, um, for since 1996, there's been this thing that we think of as the Pro Tour. It's been called the Mythic Championship. It's been called whatever. But, like, these large events where people gather from all over the world to compete for this title that happens, you know, a handful of times a year. It is the pinnacle of achievement for any competitive Magic player. And... That's ending. This is this is this was the last one. Andre Strasky is our last Pro Tour champion. There will be something else that replaces it next year, but it's going to be different. And the experience of seeing people from all over the world isn't ever really going to happen in the same way again. And it was a little sad. We we went we found an Irish bar and we drank until they kicked us out. That's awesome. I have a question though. Um, Quickly before we get to the Melissa, um, do you don't you think the Players Tour's final will be the Players Tour final will be the same experience? I, I think it'll be similar, but I don't think it'll be be the same because it won't be you won't see the players who are coming up, right? You'll you'll get this like distilled field of the best of the best from around the world, but it's still that's going to be a smaller field tournament. The finals, right? Like compared to what we would get at the Pro Tour, you're not going to get. Um, you know, Martin Mueller going to a handful of these before his breakout finish. You know, we're not going to, we wouldn't see Melissa, right? Like we would see Melissa at Pro Tours and, and follow her story until she got to her breakout top eight, right? Like it, it's, it's just not going to be that same uh, ability to see everybody in the same room together and sort of track people's progress and watch those um, stories take bloom. Yeah, so the end of an era and the start of a new one, I think, is kind of the sure. narrative that came out of this weekend. And you were here for part of that, which was inducting Reed Duke into the Hall of Fame, in which he said something very similar in his yes. acceptance speech. Um, and we got to have you on coverage for a little bit, yeah, too, it was which fun. was awesome. I missed it. Yeah, we missed you, of course. Oh. I mean, yeah, we, we really, really did. Uh, and Melissa's joining us here this morning as well. And you were at the tournament as a representative of Wizards of the Coast, where you now work. Yep, that's right. I was here to, you know, watch matches, uh, talk to players, get feedback so I can take it back to my team and just try to make Magic the best game it can be. So you just were having conversations with players about what they thought about Standard? What, what, was, what were the kind of things you were talking about? Um, just like, how can we do better at making fun Standard formats? What are some of the problematic cards? Uh, what could happen hypothetically if we do a round of bans on November 18th? Like, what decks will rise up to the top and stuff? Uh, we also talked a lot about limited and like how we can make certain colors that are usually like weaker colors, like for example, white. Yes. Like how can we make white a better color and limited going forward? Things like that. Awesome. And uh, let's just chat, have a little chitty chat about like how the Mythic Championship went for everybody and everybody's yeah. experience. Um, before that, I just want to let everyone know that In the Jungle was in fact featured in The Lion King. <laughs> 
Also, it has a very long and interesting history. When did it come out? It was originally recorded in the 1930s, in, and the original was in Zulu. Oh, no way. And the 1930s? Was, yes. Um, yes, in 1939, by Solomon Linda, uh, it was adapted and covered internationally by many po- pop and folk revival artists. So there you go. Oh, well. Wow. Yeah, which is the one that you probably know is the doo-wop group, The Tokens. <laughs> oh, are they a magic group? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Anyways, so there you go. I just wanted us all to know that it is, in fact, in The Lion King. Thank you for that. All right. So, yeah, Mythic Championship, Andre Strosky, the champion with Simic Food, I think is kind of one of the outcomes that seems like, oh, that's appropriate for this tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Winning with that deck. Also, I have to say, they were very, okay, yes, they were very long matches on Sunday. Oh, yeah. They were some of the longest matches of magic I've ever been made to witness it was in my a life. long three days overall but also there was a time i think in the quarterfinals when andre was playing against louis del tour um a french player that i was just like we all of us sitting sitting back in in the text coverage area were watching and we were just like he's lost this game and then like 15 minutes later, he won that game. Yeah. And that was, to me, indicative of his play throughout at least the top eight. There were so many times when I watched himself, watched him, watched him, watched him navigate himself out of like really difficult situations. It was really impressive play. I feel like that was a theme throughout the top eight that you, you would think a, ma- a game or a match was coming to a conclusion and then there would just be some haymaker on the other side and the momentum would completely swing that way. And um, that was kind of, that part was kind of cool. It was. I think the universal, it was a universal agreement that the matches were very, very interesting to watch and it it required super high levels of skill to play those matches as well as we saw them being played. Uh, A lot of people were down because, you know, obviously Oko decks were super dominant. If you count cards on the sideboard, et cetera, it was 69% of the field, right? So people were down about that. But the fact remains that the matches were extremely, extremely good magic, especially a match, our game four of the finals, I think is the one we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, for you, Melissa, what was, how was the tournament for you? Uh, it was really interesting. Um, I obviously I had a good idea going in what I was going to see and the feedback that I was going to hear. And that was for the most part correct. But I thought the games were really interesting. Like you guys said, um, the games were just super back and forth. When one player was winning, that did not mean they were winning. Like, there were a lot of comeback moments. I also saw a lot of, like, really interesting decks that were trying to beat Oka, like the Jeskai Fires deck, uh, the Rakdos Knights deck. Yes. And the coolest decks that I've seen in the tournament, I think, were the Sacrifice decks with the Cat and the Oven and Corvold. Those cat were, food. Those were very cat cool food. decks. Um, and I actually also watched the GP a lot because... Uh, there was a lot of downtime in the Pro Tour Top 8, so I was just hanging out in the GP area and watching, and they were doing a lot of also interesting things, usually involving Oko, but also just, like, a lot of iterations of the Oko deck with, like, the cat food stuff. So, very cool to see. By the way, Reed Duke got his 24th Grand Prix Top 8 this weekend. Wait, he went over and played the Grand Prix and got Top 8? I made eight? Top 8. I don't know where he... I, I, I honestly haven't looked at coverage. I didn't even see I that. I don't know where he, he finished. He either ended up first or second. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, I do remember uh, that he was what? in the finals, and I don't know what happened after oh that. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> that number is absurd. 24? Yeah, with, with six wins. 
Wow. Or more. Or more. We don't know. Seven. Yeah, Who knows? Seven. We're living in a bubble. We're, this is really... Sh- Maybe we should look this up. <laughs> Schrodinger's GP finals. You should certainly look it up before you record the upkeep. Okay. Right now, okay. right okay. now he has both won and not won the finals. So. Right. Yeah, Schrodinger's but, cat food. But the, the cat food deck, which, you know, I think a lot of people refer to as the Sultai Sacrifice deck, uh, was ac- actually yeah. one of the, uh, the best performing decks at the tournament, which was not represented in the top eight, but regardless of that, had a very good uh, day two conversion and did very well in the standard portion. Yeah, I've, I heard good things out on the floor about that deck um, in terms of their, like, their standard win percentages. And I, I think that that's a deck that we could potentially see in some iteration, um, whatever the environment looks like post-bans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rakdos Knights, like you said, did pretty good, too. Um, I love that deck. I think yeah. it's uh, really cool. I uh, believe in the cleave, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I think um, Gruel, like the Gruel, Gruel Adventure deck had a very good conversion rate today, too. Yes, Gruel Adventure was the best non-Oko Best performing non-Oko deck yeah. in the field. It was also played by three of the best players in the world. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe, maybe excuse it. I don't yeah. know. It yeah. might be a high-performance vehicle, you know, that is best piloted by high performers. I don't know. By specifically Javier Dominguez. Yes. <laughs> Unstoppable <laughs> magic juggernaut. Almost made top eight. Almost made top eight. By the way. It would have been absolutely Current reigning world absurd. champion. Yeah. Just won the last mythic championship. Yeah. Uh, top eighted in, where was it? Where did he top eight? The mm. London, I think. Um, yeah. Or Vegas. Uh, so like, I don't remember. if he made it again, I was just going to be like, what the heck is going on with this guy? Yeah. He's so good. I mean, he still is. He Correct. still had an, an absolutely absurd finish. And Paulo Vito Damodorosa making his 13th Pro Tour top eight as well is, like, just absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. BDM, I feel like you'll have, you'll have a real opinion on this one. Obviously, there's a lot of talk right now with Paulo making this oh, yeah. 13th top eight. Where do you think he falls on the list of greatest players of all time? I, I've, I've said this for a couple of years now. I think the list is in personal preference pick order like you can just yeah. put it in whatever order you want john kai paulo yeah i, I think agree. that's it i think that is the the tier uh and then it's like luis nasif uh and you know and maria luis, yeah yeah <laughs> uh luis luis is is very close i think to that um i mean yeah i mean i think luis, luis and nasif you just have to draw a line somewhere but really i think those are are the top five for me Melissa, yeah. I've, for you coming here and watching this tournament and stuff and being like an absurdly good magic player and playing at the highest level. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's just flat out true for a long time. New England and boss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about your, your early days playing magic a little bit later. But like, what was it like for you to watch? Do you ever just be like, oh, put me in, coach? Um, I mean, sort of like I do have those feelings of, oh, wow, this is this is bringing back so many memories. This is great to see. And like, I wish I could play at this level again. But, you know, I, I'm happy with where I am. It was definitely great to see all these players do well because I remember when Paulo was a little, well, I guess a kid. He, he was pretty he was young. young. I mean, yeah, yeah he he's was like, still like a teenager. Young, so. Like, I remember when he was up and coming and I chatted with him at Pro Tour Valencia 2007. And he was like a kid and I had talked to him before online in this uh, Magic League group. And I was like, oh, this Brazilian kid, cool. I'm going to meet him for the first time. He seems like a really good player. And then he went on <laughs> to become who he is today. And that was kind of crazy. <laughs> Speaking of little kids, Andre Strasky, how old is he? 26, something yeah. like that. And this is his fourth top eight? Third. 
third, third, third pro tour top pro, eight. Pro tour top fourth eight. top finish. Right? Yeah. So oh. like that's <laughs> that's kind of wild. That's completely wild. That's, that's real. Yeah, that's a impressive. lot at that age. Hold uh, on, I want you to say because you you dodged my question. Order the three. Like, what is your personal order of the three best players? Order them. Uh, order I, I, them. I, I think I'm always going to have John in first. Yeah. Uh, just because of his ability to understand the game from its inception. He just understood it. He was the best at it. It was bewildering. He is the person that made it clear to me that the game was a game of skill. Uh, then I'm going to have Ty because of the number of wins. And because he's the person who said, you know, yes, it is skill, but it's also hard work. And he, he showed that to me. And then Paulo, I mean, and it's really super close. And Paulo just for, for the consistency and, and for just, you know, being, I mean, it, he, it's just, he's an elite talent. So that, that would be my ordering. I would fault no one for saying Paulo has done it in an era where there's so much more information players are just better. And the players overall. are just better and the the floor of who you play against is much higher. And I and if someone wanted to make that sort of like era based claim and put Paulo at the front of the list, I, I could not fault you for that. But I, I, I give John credit for just yeah. like like walking into a dark room and being able to navigate it expertly while everyone else was just still stubbing their toes every two yeah. two feet. <laughs> they were all in the mere maze of magic. Yeah. Uh, yes, aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think what was really super special about this event was the fact that Andre got to get his first win, his first like yeah. Pro Tour win, against someone who he grew up idolizing. Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. Absolutely. And, and if you watch the end of the, pro, of the, the event, you know, he, Andre, you know, they worked together. They were, you know, they, they, they prepared for this event together. They were playing, uh, I don't know if it was identical lists or very no, similar No, very similar, almost identical. Almost, and, um, and the games just went, it went the full five, and, and every game was just, like, really incredible. And then, you know, Paulo extends his hand, and, and Andre wins, and his friends and his teammates come over, and they congratulate him. And one of his teammates is Paulo. And so Paulo has to gather himself from not getting his third Pro Tour top eight, which is an elite number. Win. His, his, third, his third win, I'm sorry, which is a very elite number. Yes. Very, very rarefied air. Uh, has to gather himself from that. And then he gets up and he goes over and he, you know, and he shook his hand at the table, but then walks away from the table, walks around and comes over to Andre as a teammate. And he congratulates him and yeah. they embrace. And it was, um, I, I cried actually about it. It was, it was just a really wonderful moment to me and really you know as someone who looks at the history of the of the pro tour seeing that legacy passed down you know and seeing that next you know wave of great young players not, not that paulo and andre are that far apart no. in age, yeah <laughs> but you, you know, know they say never yeah. meet your heroes but you should probably definitely play your heroes in the finals yes, yes. The championship, championship. <laughs> I was sorry. I'm just like checking to make sure you don't. You're not like on worried about time or whatever. Okay. So I can always change my flight if I have to. Um, it's just very late if I change it. So um, let's get a, a quick life check-in for both of you. I think the listeners will be interested. Let's start with Melissa. So, like we mentioned, you know, a great player and now working for Wizards of the Coast. What is your job there? Um, and because I don't think know if we've talked to you on the show about that since you started and like. 
what's your day to day and how do you like it? Sure. Okay. I think the last time I was on your podcast was like three years ago. Did it was, that, yeah. Did I that think it's when right? you were a contractor. And I believe I had just returned to Wizards from a short hiatus from Wizards. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's probably a long story, but. <laughs> But let's uh, hear what you're doing. Yeah, so um, I'm on the play design team. We're responsible for like format health for competitive magic. Um, we want uh, our goals are to make magic as fun as it can be. Um, so we do a lot of play testing. We do a lot, a lot of designing cards for formats. Um, we like focus on formats that our players play the most, which is standard and limited. Uh, a little bit of older formats, but mostly standard and limited. And it's really fun. And I play lots of magic. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's like insane challenging job but it's great yeah can I ask I was just thinking about this it's so weird if you think of like I think of so many jobs these days especially in offices that like a lot of what you're doing is like on a computer but that's not your life you're like actively playing matches of magic yeah we do play a lot of magic but we like, don't get me wrong like if we are in an office we yeah. do have a desk and a computer and like we do spend time just reading set files and like giving feedback on cards and yeah. writing up like we do a lot of like write-ups about stuff yeah, posting it's deck still... lists, research of like yeah. decks that people are playing out in the real world and like trying to see what we can learn from those. So it is a lot of desk work, but we do yeah. play magic as well. It's just very cool to think of a job that has like such an active piece of it of like, oh, like gotta, gotta go, draft gotta go today. play some, exactly, gotta go draft, gotta go play some matches. <laughs> I, I wanna know uh, too, I mean, the, You've t I talked about how hard the job and as job is, and I just like literally can't imagine how much that's true. When you put a format out into the world, which we're what, two years behind you now in, in development, something like um, that? For our team, it's about nine months to a year. Okay, about nine months to a year. How confident are you, like, when you have to, like, put, put the, like, send email or whatever, yeah. like, put like, the send like into the send world, file. like, submit, right? Yeah, submit. <laughs> submit um, deck list. We're usually pretty confident, but, like, we make tons of mistakes all the time, but, like, we have to be confident. If we're not confident, then we're just going to do a bad job, I think. So, like, we're pretty confident. Like, our goal is not to just find the tier one decks or just make sure to have tier one decks, because if we do that, then the format is just going to get solved too quickly. So we just try and put out there strong options for players and then just have them find the right decks. Because like I said, like if we know what the decks are and they're actually stronger than we thought, then they would just be dominating. And like we also want to try and make a format that is harder to solve, uh, like as, as hard to solve as possible, basically. Right. Can I, can I ask a, a hard question? Okay. I mean, you talk about this responsibility from play design. How do you feel when you come to an event like this and you look at a standard format that is so um, warped around one card and one deck. Like, is that something, like, how, how does that affect you in terms of, like, your work pride and, like, you know, what, what's that experience like from your perspective? All right, yeah, like, honestly, it does feel pretty bad. Um, like, this, obviously, things did not go according to plan here. <laughs> uh, like, so we knew Oka was a problem well before this Pro Tour. Like, we did have a feeling that it would be dominant after the Field of the Dead ban. Um, so we actually spent a lot of time just, like, looking back and seeing what went wrong. How did this card change and when and why? And where did this card go wrong? And so we have had a lot of conversations about Oko internally to figure out where do we go wrong with this card, you know? So, uh, so like, yeah, we're, we're like pretty sad about it, I would say. I can't really speak for everyone, but I'm pretty sad about it. It's been pretty rough. Uh, this Pro Tour, like, people come up to me and they're like, 
oh yeah, I don't want to talk about Oko because I know that you already know. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I got that part. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's move. That's like the tier. Like that's like the step one problem. It's yeah. like, oh, we already know. You're already on that step. Like, what's the next what, what's, stair? What's the weirdest card someone told you needed to be banned in a standard this week? <laughs> oh, the weirdest. Nothing weird, honestly. Everything like they said, I was like, yeah, I, I, I could see that. Like nothing was super weird. I, I don't think. Um, no one was like, Cauldron Familiar needs to be banned. <laughs> Please ban the 3-3 three, three that comes into the battlefield and pumps your dudes for plus one, plus one until end of turn. For it this pro tour, I think go. it's like pretty obvious what the problem cards are. Um, that said, we're not going to ban like every card, you know. <laughs> um, but like I can tell you a story about when I was chatting with a player at a GP a while back. Um, and the format was like overall like pretty healthy, I think. And But he was just telling me about how much uh, Command the Dreadhorde needed to be banned. It was just like warping standard, and it was super bad. And I was like, oh, geez, like, can you like elaborate on that a little bit? And he just like had this like huge story about how Command the Dreadhorde was problematic for standard. That it, card is yeah, that card it turned is out sweet. to be pretty sweet. I love that, that card. That card yesterday. Maybe that player just like played against it like three times in a row at a GP. And was just and, like, I'm and over just it. like, oh, this card, this is, this card is the worst. <laughs> yeah. I remember feeling that way about Heart of Kirin. I was just like, great, Ugh. different smuggler's captor. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? It was fine. All right, Brian, it's your turn. Give us a life update. You're the Pro Tour Historian. You step back from coverage. What are you doing now? So Pro Tour Historian Emeritus. Emeritus? Is, is, yes, that's but right. Nobody, oh. But nobody's replaced you as the Pro Tour Historian. Well, and no one ever will. We yeah, maybe we don't know. We don't know what will yeah. happen next year as far as the Hall of Fame. I mean, Pro Tour Historian was largely a Hall of Fame curation title. It's a, it's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, and there's just no more Pro Tour, right? Even this year, it was the Mythic Championship. So yeah. I just cheekily okay, called it Okay, Emeritus. That. And, and uh, <laughs> maybe Pro title. Tour Emeritus historian. Yes. Uh, I am working uh, as the Chief Creative Officer for uh, a new startup. Uh, we're doing games, collectibles, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we're going to be announcing probably at the start of the year. I'm working with Zvi. I'm working with some other people that you probably know, but you know we're not making a big deal out of stuff right now. But uh, it's really exciting. I get to use uh, all of my work experience. My my work experience, you know, as as someone who worked in the field of public relations, as someone who worked in the field of uh, comic book publishing as someone who's worked as a creative director and sort of put that all together and uh, making cool new things and using new technology and uh, it's, it's very exciting. It's been really challenging. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh, I'm really excited about uh, the year 2020. Nice. Awesome. And for people listening who aren't as up-to-date, Zvi is a Hall of Famer from Magic, an old-school yeah, Magic yeah. the Gathering player. Yeah, someone I've known since he was, you know, a, a young kid uh, yeah. playing Magic at my store uh, in New York. Um, it's really cool to see, like, two people, like, you met through Magic, and now, yeah. like, you're, you're jumping onto, like, a new phase of, like, games in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's that's, very I cool. Mean, the last however many years, I mean, my previous business... Uh, I was partnered with uh, Matt Wang, who's a GP winner, who's someone I met through Magic yeah. at Neutral Ground, you know, and is one of my really close friends. And uh, yeah, I mean, the game is amazing that way in terms of uh, if you want to have smart people put into the path of your life, 
Magic is a great That's place very to do that. Magic is a very good way to meet smart people. I mean, it's just like we're constantly surrounded by smart people, too, yeah. honestly. Sometimes sometimes they're a little one-track mind. <laughs> That's, well, the, yes. The, here's the thing about smart, or at least the way I've always viewed it, is intelligence is not one thing. No, yes, of course absolutely. not. Yeah. But, I mean, and there, there are a lot of people who are... People tend to think their form of intelligence is the most important. Yes. You know, the thing that they're really smart about. Yes. But th there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different ways yeah. that are not just, you know, being able to calculate the probability of the most rational outcome, you know. I was like, having a conversation with someone about this this yeah, weekend. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes there is an, an emotional intelligence. There, yeah. there's, there's a lot of different uh, ways to be very smart in this world. And, and magic does incorporate a lot of those so yeah for sure so you just mentioned neutral ground which is going to be my segue into one of the reasons that i wanted you two to come on the show this week because you're talking about this at the hall of fame uh induction ceremony you're telling me an old old school story of uh, melissa and neutral ground was a story you had in new york city and melissa was a player uh, on the east coast and um kind of like just hearing stories of magic back in the day and what it was like was so interesting to me since megan and i started playing in 2012. so just so you know every time you say melissa i just hear ymg scum <laughs> okay, tell, tell the story. Mean? Tell the story. It's so Melissa, good. How do you feel about being called YMG scum? Well, believe it or not, this is what we were called by the New Yorkers back then. <laughs> okay, Melissa. Uh, All right. Can you start the story off? Yeah, sure. Uh, so YMG stands for Your Move Games. They were the New England Magic Store and my LGS. There were two stores, one in Boston, one in Providence. I played at the Providence Store, but... Anyway, uh, so this store was, uh, like, the pro players at the store were Dave Humphreys, Rob Doherty, Darwin Castle, all now in the Hall of Fame, and Justin Gary, and... Paul Rietzel. Paul Rietzel, for sure. Can't forget about him. He was a little kid. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had a great nickname, which was yeah. Lil D. His nickname was Little Darwin, because he, <laughs> he was, like, the up-and-coming teenage kid, you know? Like, he was, he was, like, a really good player, like... I, like, I remember I was in my like very early 20s, uh, maybe like 20 years old or something, and he was like a teenager, and I was like, man, this kid's so good. He's probably better than me, but, and he's so little, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he was having a kid this weekend, right? That's why he wasn't here. Oh, really? Oh, is that yeah. right? Yeah. No wow. Yeah. Oh, snap. Time, y'all. Yeah. Time. <laughs> so there is this rivalry between your store, Melissa, and your store, Brian. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so Neutral Ground was a store in New York. Uh, very similar pedigree of players that went through, you know, Zvi Moshowitz, Steve O. Mahoney-Schwartz, uh, John Finkel, Mike Pastelnik is another person who was a regular there who went, won a pro tour, um, Osip Lebedovich and Pat Sullivan, you know, even though they were target guys, they would, you know, their big events were generally at neutral ground. There's a, a, a ton of players who, who came through there. And uh, when... Pro Tour qualifiers were happening every weekend, right? You know, you would you would road trip, and you would go, you know, because they're, you know, it's like okay, we're gonna go yeah. drive to Boston, Absolutely. and you know, the, the goal was to steal a slot for, at the Pro Tour from someone in Boston. You know, you really want to go, and and and, and, the, and, the, and the Boston crew would come down to New York, and they desperately wanted to steal a slot out from under us, and that was we can't kind of, let those dirty Boston kids yeah, on that yeah, pro that tour. Kind of, I mean, it was it was pretty good hearted, I think. I, right? It was good hearted, right? I think for the most part, it yeah. was good hearted. <laughs> I, like, I mean, they were like 
the, the New Yorkers were not the nicest people. Like, I remember... <laughs> um, I think that's just a true statement generally. So, so I played in my first, like, very big event, which was uh, U.S. Nationals 2000. And uh, my round one opponent in Constructed was Mike Flores. And, like, I had heard of him, and I knew he was a writer, and I knew that he was from Neutral Ground, but I never talked to him before. And he was just so mean to me. <laughs> oh, Mike! <laughs> And like YMG scum. He probably doesn't even remember it. Like I maybe he's he would be nice to me now, who knows? But I just remember being like, wow. <laughs> just because I'm from your move. Because <laughs> right? like there was no other Some reason. Jets and sharks action going yeah, on. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. No, there were, it, it was it was it was just like something you would do to like, you know, get yourself pumped up for the event too. And I don't know, it was just fun. You're like throwing darts. <laughs> So, pictures of people from the other store. So Rob, Rob Darty owned your move games, and so at some point he and I, in the low, had to have a peace treaty, like a meeting. 90, no, we didn't have it. We we actually <laughs> never fanned the flames. They had a fight. Yeah. <laughs> so we we created a tournament series called the Grudge Match. Oh. And so uh, every week in each of our stores there would be a tournament, uh, and then which would qualify players for a big tournament in the store, and then at the end of the winner of that tournament and the winner of the Your Move Games tournament would then <laughs> go to, you can find this on the Pro Tour coverage actually some places, our champion would go up against their champion. But Melissa was the end boss back in those days. Oh, absolutely. This was actually later, um, during the grudge match days, I was too new to be good at magic, so I never won any grudge matches back then, but I remember like all the good players at Your Move would you know, play in them and win them, and I would try and play and usually like scrub out or whatever. So I wasn't really that good back then, but as time went on, like in the mid 2000s, I would say, um, I was I was actually winning a lot of PTQs. Yeah, you'd be like, oh no, Melissa's in the top. You'd be like, oh no, Melissa's in the top eight. Yeah, like yeah, actually, I did top eight a lot of PTQs. I didn't win very many. I've only won five in my life. But I do well, have a lot just, of the, the top know, eight pins. Like, oh, yeah. one day I found them all. I have, like, You got pins 30 back then? That's oh, yeah. sweet. Eventually they stopped giving out the pins, but they were, like, really cool to yeah, collect. because Melissa was bankrupting them. <laughs> <laughs> why are we going to print pins just so that Melissa can add to her collection? <laughs> That's sweet, though. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I, have a nice, I have a pretty nice collection of top eight pins. And what was cool is when we were talking at, on the pro panel at the Mythic Championship this weekend, we were talking to Luis and Raph Levy and Chris Kovartek as kind of like three generations of magic. Um, and I asked Raph, like, oh, what was the, what's the biggest difference between now and then? And he said, the internet. You know, you couldn't just go on and be like, oh, what's the best deck? Click. You would literally show up to tournaments and have to read your opponent's cards because you did not know what they did, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. And the biggest difference. And Chris Kavartek, you know, the, the newest generation was like, I can't conceive of being a magic player then. I don't know if I would even be any good without the internet, which I think is neat. Yeah, it's true. I think I still think of like definitely the times that I have done the the best for me in magic is when I've done my research. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know what I'm like, up against. Oh, like did I like did I read articles? Did I like, you know, distill them down Do I know for my sideboarding plan? Have? Exactly. Yeah. So so one of the big things that came out of the grudge match is I so I was running a, a, a big standard tournament, you know, like 60, 70 players would show up every Saturday to play standard. And we published all the deck lists. This was not something that I mean, happened. Top eight lists would get published all the time, right? Like, you know, from a GP, you'd get the top eight list or from a PT, but like from other events, from like day to day events, 
there just weren't deck lists. There was no saffron olive yet, yeah. right? There was no um, Wizards of the Coast didn't publish, you know, deck lists. And so we started to, we would do a metagame breakdown. We would do deck lists. We would do like uh, an example of every deck and its highest place. Like this is the highest placing fires deck, and this is what it looks like. And this deck finished in 17th place, but it was the highest ranking blue black control deck. And and that was something pretty new. And uh, and it was also you know you saw people getting that taste of like oh wow there's like details we can tweak and there's like nuance to all of this stuff from week to week to week and it was it was it was pretty amazing and it was uh i think a big step in terms of what kind of content people wanted online about magic gosh it makes me nostalgic like i wish i part of me wishes that it was still sort of like that you know like it was it was harder to get this yeah. information like i had to at least make me buy a magazine and like flip through <laughs> it maybe that's just me being old but i loved the day like this is the comparison i'm gonna make the beanie baby craze who remembers oh, this yep. i had so many beanie babies oh yeah oh god i was all in on this because it was the rush of like oh maybe i'll find the super rare one or yeah. whatever maybe i'll crack that mythic and uh <laughs> i would buy those magazines and like figure out the pricing and like which ones were going up and down and uh, which stores could i maybe find and wait in line at 5 a.m or whatever and can we sorry yeah keep going because i after that i want to make a point but oh no i'm like almost done but i mean like that kind of experience is what i think about or like trying to crack cheat codes early on in video games when there was no internet. The same kind of thing. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you remember that there was like a commemorative Princess Diana bear beanie baby? Yes. And is that not kind of messed up and super weird? <laughs> Isn't that weird? I don't know. Maybe. Isn't that like the most expensive beanie still was, or something? Well, no. I don't, Back then, I mean, Princess Di was, was, but also there was, like, yeah. super rare, like, there was this elephant. Oh, my God, why do I remember this? There was the elephant, but it was printed, or printed, made in dark blue material instead of the light yeah. blue material, and that one was, like, super rare. I'm just saying that you were, you were selling a Beanie Baby to kids who basically had no, like, no context for what Princess Di meant to people. <laughs> do, do you know who they was They were just like, it's a purple bear. <laughs> You know, was Zach Hill was a big Beanie Baby guy. Was he? Yeah, really? that's how he got his like that start. Sounds right. <laughs> that makes Honestly, sense to me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. He was me. a Beanie Baby entrepreneur as a kid. Wow! Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, there's like an NPR episode oh, where they talk about it. magic, which he's on talking about collecting Beanie Babies. I think at my I think at my peak I had a, a hundred and fifty probably. They're still in a bin in my dad's house. Oh, I got rid of mine. I don't know what they're doing. Like, what yeah, should I, I do with I have them? a ton, too, but nowhere near 150 levels. But, like, I also oh. tried to collect them and see which ones were valuable. I would look them all up in the magazine. Like, yeah. like you said, none of them were worth I anything. Had a, <laughs> I had a bookshelf that was only for Beanie Babies. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I honestly, looking back, like, can't uh. believe but it was fun. It was something to do. I don't it know. It really was. I mean, I loved it. My <laughs> friends loved it. It was weird. I have a bin of Happy Meal toys. Oh, me too. Oh. Yeah, yeah. My mom collected those and was like, these are going to be worth money someday. Still waiting. Still waiting. I'll on tell that. you the, one that, the ones that I have that are a little out there. Um, Briar Horses. Oh, I remember the I Briar Horse days. Yeah. They, were like, they were like, you know, about this, this big. Super nice the, You models. know, size of a, mm -hmm. of a football. Yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, horse little horse models. Mm -hmm. uh, 
they, I remember that I think at the time they cost about $25 to $30 each because that was a lot. It was a lot. That was a lot for us. So, like, I, that was, like, months worth of allowances for me. But I would, like, that was what I saved for. I did not spend my allowances. And I, I probably also have, like, 30 prior horses. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have an eBay auction oh, for all of yeah. Megan's yeah. prior horses. For, for me, that was comic books and oh, baseball yeah. cards. Oh, baseball yeah. cards briefly, but then comic books were really, yeah. like, the thing where, you know, that, that experience of having... I still have my first comic book price guide. Wow. Right? Oh, well, you, you couldn't cool. look stuff up, right? You know, yeah. there was, like, a, a, a book, and it's, like, I have the... 19, Wizard Magazine, right? Wizard Magazine for, for magic cards. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about that idea. Like, you used to get deck lists, not online. You would get deck lists in a magazine, oh, which would come man. out after the event, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Duelist Magazine and Sideboard Magazine. You, wow. you When you guys visit New York, I'll, I have all the Duelists and Sideboards. Yeah, oh I, I still have my, some old office. Sideboards at my parents' house. And, okay, like, so. you, you know, you look back at them, and there's, like, articles written by Brian Kibler and, like, other, like, players who are well-known and, and players other from, from back then. Perhaps other Maybe Brian's. Maybe other Brian's. Who Maybe could who other can say? Brian's. So all we need to do is destroy the internet, and we're all going to yeah, be a lot happier. That sounds great. Honestly, look, I will say my happiness definitely correlates inversely with how much I'm on the internet. It's true. It's true. All right, somebody get on this. Yeah. God, I had all of. They had a special Christmas briar horse every year, <laughs> and I have them. I think I. I probably have three, at Megan, least three of them. Is there a Hess truck that has like a horse carrier that you could put the briar oh, horse shit. on? What if I gave you a briar horse for Christmas this year? What would you do? And it was the Christmas Maria, briar horse. I would literally <laughs> lose my mind. <laughs> like I don't think I would be able to handle that. <laughs> do they still make them? Are they still I don't, a thing? I don't know. I, I don't know. Out. We have You're to find out. <laughs> oh my. God. Crack this mystery booster and then yeah. Well, Let, mystery booster. It. You were talking about this idea of like getting card, getting to see cards for the first time yeah. without any information, and that was actually yeah. successfully managed this weekend for the mystery booster. Event. It really yeah. was. Nobody knew what was in these or what the deal was. Even a lot of people at Wizards of the Coast didn't know. Did you know, <laughs> Melissa? Um, I did know what they were. Oh, okay. Like, I I didn't know exactly what the contents were. Like. I didn't work on the product at all. I did do some of the artwork for the playtest cards. Oh, they're so um, cool. But I didn't, like, have any input of, like, what cards are in the packs or whatever. Like, all I knew was, like, oh, it's Chaos Draft. And there's also this playtest card of, like, cards that were either, like, inside jokes or cards that were in design files that didn't make it, or cards that were designed by uh, contestants in the Great Designer Search 3. There's a lot of those in there. And... Just like random cards designed by people from around the company, not necessarily in R and D. Is it more chaos draft or cube draft? Do you feel like? I feel like it's more chaosy. Like okay, there's yeah. just a lot of limited yeah. commons in there. I had a great. I only drafted this once, but I had a great time. It was awesome. I got to draft a Sphinx's tutelage deck, which is which like is just, Megan's invitational yeah, card. It's like all that I want in I mean, life is to is to suddenly see a copy of Sphinx's tutelage in the pack that I'm picking from and be able to be like, yes. I drafted a Rakdos deck, like what more yeah. do I want in my life? A exactly. great Rakdos deck. I had two copies of Dismember. Like, uh, hello. It was super fun. I yeah. got to take many extra turns against Maria. Yes, Because I shuffled four copies of, four proxies of Time Walk into my deck with Time Sidewalk. 
at the so, start of the game. And it was so funny too, because like, uh, we're, I'm, you're doing this draft and you just want to have fun. And like, Efro's there and Marshall's there. And, you know, and they're just like, you know that card's actually just not yeah. good. They're, <laughs> they're like, like, go yeah, away. They're like, I'm just shuffling. He's like, is that card good? And I'm like, I don't care. Spiky. Go away, you Grinch. We're, we're playing in a bar for like <laughs> no stakes. You know, like, I just want to make time walk copies. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, Mystery Booster Draft was debuted at the Magic Fest at Richmond this weekend, and it is essentially Chaos Draft. There's like 1,600 cards in this set. It's insane. And uh, there's one, what they call Playtest Card a Pack, which is trying to replicate the experience of playing with playtest cards in uh, R&D and testing, but they're very silly. Some of them are super powerful. Some of them are terrible. Um, there's cards from so many different yeah. sets in here. Uh, I think my favorite one is one black mana, you lose the game. You lose the game, yeah, that's an example. Yeah. Um, there's a one old frame art in every booster pack, so we're going to do a pack one, Your pick one here. Your command is the one I really liked. I got to make a Shriek my commander. <laughs> wow. Wow. That so is you just a, evoke that? Yes. Ouch. All right, everybody. Our first card is Baneslayer Aspirant. This is the playtest card. One in a white for a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, it gets plus three, plus three, and has flying first strike and lifelink as long as you have one or more emblems. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this card's sweet. We also have a Faith's Fetters in here. Enchant permanent. When it enters the battlefield, you gain four life. The per permanent can't attack or block and use activated abilities unless they're mana ones. One all of right. my favorite cards of all time. Great Faith's Fetters is like a cube staple. Yeah. Solid removal spell. Yeah. And you can put it on Planeswalkers. Ooh. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. permanent. Enchant yeah. permanent. You can put it on land. Yeah, you can put it on yeah. land. Back during the standard format, you would put it on the Vitugazi land so they couldn't oh. make the tokens. Cool. Smart. All right, we've got Fortify in here. Choose one, and it's an instant. Your creatures either get plus two, plus oh, or plus oh, plus two until end of turn. Chrono, Chrono Stutter. Five and a blue. Put target creature into its owner's library second from the top at instant speed. Ooh. That's kind of cool. Storm Sculptor. You remember this card? Mm -hmm. It's a 3-2 Merfolk. It can't be blocked. When it ETBs, return a creature you control to its owner's hand. Um, Miasmic Mummy is the 2-2 two, two for one in a black from uh, Amonkhet. When it ETBs, each player discards a card. Okay. Uh, we also have, oh gosh, how do you say this? O Okina Gang Shinobi. Oh, yeah. Gang Shinobi. Classic Betrayers of Kamigawa card. Look, they're rat ninjas. Three black, black for a 3-2 with ninjutsu for three and a black. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that player discards two cards. That's wow. mean. Yeah, that's it's mean. That's great. Okay, that's a pretty good one. Blazing Volley deals one damage to each creature your opponents control for a single red. All right, getting rid of those token strategies. Tarfire for a single red once again deals two damage to target creature or player. Tribal Instant Goblin. It is also a goblin. Yep. That is weird. So you can, you can search that up with a goblin matron. and Yes. That's bizarre. Okay. Nice. You get it in Hit your it with hand with the goblin ringleader. Yeah. Uh, seek the Wilds, one in a green for a sorcery. Look at the top four. You may reveal creature or land. Put it into your hand, the rest on the bottom. We've got another kind of ramp here, fertile ground, one in a green to enchant a land. Whenever Amen. enchanted land is tapped for mana, it adds an additional mana of any color. <gasps> it's an Abzan guide. Oh, I an, love oh, this Abzan card. Abzan guide. Remember this card uh, from Khans? Um, it's a little 4-4 four, four four lifelink four. With, with morph. Morph. And the morph is two uh, white... Two uh, and an Obzon. Two and an We'll say it that way. It's so I adorable that. that you guys are so nostalgic over the Cons of Tarkir card. We are. We love Cons of Tarkir. Yes, awesome. you children. All right. Oh, we loved Cons so We've much. We've got Guardians of Melita's 06 is Defender for three. Remember this? Oh, yeah. 
Um, ooh, Here, here's my nostalgia card, the next one. Okay, so this is the old border soothsaying <laughs> for a single blue. <laughs> In, so windmill slam here from Brian. Uh, enchantment, three blue blues, shuffle your library. Okay, X... Look at the top X cards of your library and put them back in any order. No, I'm not. It's not a windmill slam oh. for me. I'm just pissed because I was looking for a soothsaying for my Estrid Commander deck this weekend. I could not find one at any of the dealers and spent $25 on a foil. Are you what? kidding me, Rick? No. And, I just opened it and right you just now? opened it right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad beats, man. And our rare is Prey Caesar Dragon, four red red for a four four dragon flyer with Devour two. So it, as it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice any number of creature and it gets that many counters. Whenever it attacks, it deals the damage to target creature player equal to the number of plus one plus one counters on it. Oh, that's sweet. Dang. Okay, so that's what I'm taking. What are you all taking here? Um, I think the dragon is the pretty clear pick here. You know, it's, it's a pretty big flyer. Okay, yeah. well, let's take the dragon out of commission. Let's yeah. say that's not there. Yeah, what do you want? Let's say, get that out of here. Um, let's see. The Tar Fire is a pretty cool pick. The nin Rat Ninjas are cool. The Rat Ninjas nice. <laughs> uh, like, I don't really know what's in the format, so I don't, like, I, I don't Ooh, know if, if nice there's, like, ninjas. cheap evasion creatures that you can uh, combo with that. Faith's Fetters is, is a really strong card. That's yeah. true. Yeah, it, that's it looks true. like, yeah, if you take the dragon out of the picture, it's just Faith's Fetters. Yeah, that's probably it for me as well. All right, what are you taking, Megan? Um... Look, you know I'm a control. I'm a little control baby at heart. Yeah. So I'm taking that face fetters. Okay. I kind of like the Bane Slayer Aspirin too, but I need to open a plane. But you yeah. don't have yeah. planeswalkers. Uh, one of the things that Maybe I've I noticed, I've, so I've done a handful of drafts in this format yeah. now, is that five color nonsense is something you can do. And I would actually consider Sans the Rare taking Fertile Ground. Oh, sure. And then yeah. just, just figuring out it. what all my five-color nonsense cards are as the draft progresses. Yeah. And just being like, you know what, I'm going to prioritize having, like, insane mana and being able to do anything. I had someone play against me in a draft, and they cast, they were largely a blue deck, and they cast Violent Ultimatum. What is that? It's not blue. <laughs> it's like red, 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 black, black, green, green. What? You know, it's like a Cruel Ultimatum-style card. Okay. Where they get to destroy three of your permanents. And he did it to me three times in the same game. Wow. And, okay. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was ridiculous. Oh, um, I will say, here's my my moment of mystery draft. Yeah. Like I said, Sphinx's tutelage. There's uh, I also had the Mirari conjecture, which is where you get back an instant and then a sorcery and then it like doubles. Um, and I had there's a card that's four white blue. A target player gains seven life and draws two cards. Uh, Kiss of the Amisha. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. And wow. I, in in one single match, I cast that card four times. <laughs> one time, doubling it with with uh, Mirari Conjecture Sick. to gain fourteen life and draw four cards. So I guess what we're saying is, uh, your store might carry some mystery booster products and have a mystery booster draft. Do it. Wor worth noting, though, these the playtest cards, the play will not cards be are only going to be at convention conventions. Boosters. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Mark Rosewater confirmed today that it'll be something else in oh. that slot, Ooh. but we don't know what. A foil, so, maybe? Maybe a foil, um, but like I think these are super, the playtest cards are so, yeah, so fun. fun. So if you go to a Magic Fest, do a mystery booster draft. It's just stupid. It's so fun. Just one? Yeah. I mean, do more do than many. one, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I had so much fun in that draft last I had night. A great yeah. time. I did two drafts, and they were both super fun. Yeah. And players that I've talked to, they've been just doing draft after draft. Yeah, yeah. agree. So, like, get out there get out there and try it. I think this is super sweet stuff.
Before we go, thank you to Ultra Pro, another one of the sponsors of this show. Yay, we love Ultra Pro. They make so many cool things. Every day yes. I'm on Twitter and I'm following the Ultra Pro account, which is at Ultra Pro INTL. And uh, they've just are debuting all sorts of new cool yes. new deck boxes and stuff. And you know what? If you enjoy magic art in any capacity, like why why would you not shop with them? I don't because know. it is the number one way, in my opinion, to like enjoy it in your magic life of like you can get it on playmats, you can get it on deck boxes. Yeah, they have it on if everything. If you like it, you can look at it while you play magic. And at the pro <laughs> tour during the draft, they handed out sleeves to everybody, and guess yeah. what? They were ultra pro sleeves and they looked great. They looked so good. People on, on watching the stream, I were like, oh, what are those sleeves they're using? Guess what? Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro. everybody that's this episode thank you so much for hanging out with us here for this special episode and thank you especially to our special guests guests brian and melissa yay yay where can people find you two on the internet if they want to you know keep if hearing the internet from you hasn't been destroyed if by we them. haven't oh, destroyed yeah. the internet uh i am at top eight games on twitter that's probably the easiest way to find me yeah figure uh, out all the cool stuff that that he's up to yeah. Um, I'm at Melissa DeTora on Twitter. I also do a stream most Mondays <laughs> in my life, but not every Monday. Monday, 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific, I stream Arena with Paul Chion, where we mostly play Arena, but we also answer your guys' questions about magic design or just anything magic-related. I love oh, that stream. Yeah. In theory, I might start streaming. Really? Ooh. Yeah, I finally got a new computer, and it is <gasps> oh. a gaming computer, and awesome. it has the whole... I would up. watch you so play I magic. I might need someone. I would watch to you help play. Help me figure out how to do I it. I would watch you I play would... Minecraft. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I would watch Brian play any game. Yeah, I think. that's honestly true. Yeah, I, I was would... gonna say about your stream though, Melissa. Once I was watching you and Paul, and uh, you like drew your opening hand, and I think it was a draft. And Paul's like, "Oh, I guess we're gonna keep that." And you're like, "Boom, Mulligan!" <laughs> like snap <laughs> out. That was a misclick Mulligan. I clicked the wrong button. Oh, it was oh. so sad. <laughs> it was very funny though. <laughs> I was like, no, that hit was perfect. <laughs> it was the stream was super entertaining and a great op op opportunity for you to go in there and ask some questions if you have uh, play design questions. Thanks again to everyone who hopes make the who hopes make this show happen. <laughs> who helps make this show happen by being a patron over at Patreon.com/slash/GLHFMagic. Again, thank you so so much. It allows us to do cool stuff like this, yeah. as well as to Card Kingdom and Ultra Pro. Just two of the best sponsors that we could ask for. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, it means a lot to us that you hang out with us every single week. It does. And uh, to our guests once again for being in this um, yeah. you know conference room with us and having this. Now we're going to put uh, Brian and Melissa in the middle of the circle of tables and make them fight out their old grudge match. Fight, 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 fight.